All right, good morning, Central Church. Great to see everyone this morning that's here live um, or maybe out in the concourse or maybe you're watching us online this morning on our Facebook Live page or our website. We're just uh, excited that you're joining us this morning uh, here live. If you have a Bible this morning, please turn with me to the Psalms, Psalm 19, Psalm 19. We're going to jump in there in just a moment. And while you're turning there, let me open in prayer. Lord, we're thankful for your presence here with us. And we're thankful, Holy Spirit, that you lead us and you guide us and you teach us. So, Lord, we, we need you today. We, we need your direction. We, we need the revelation, the enlightening that your spirit brings to us, God, as we, as we read Scripture. So help, help us today, God. And Lord, we are mindful of, of events happening nationally and internationally today. We, we pray for the Ukraine. We pray for that region of the world. We pray for peace. We pray, Lord, that you would spare those countries from bloodshed. We pray, Father, that you would divinely intervene diplomatically, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that your reign would be seen over those nations in that part of the world, Lord, today. We thank you, Lord, that we, uh, we're not experiencing that here. We, we can come and, and worship freely, and we're, we're grateful and thankful today for your goodness toward us. In Christ's name, everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. All right. Um, does God speak to people? Does, does God still speak to people? If so, does God, does God speak to everyone or just a select few, like pastors or missionaries or really spiritually mature people? Who does, if God speaks, who does he speak to? Does he speak to you? Do, do you hear God speaking to you? If so, how does God speak to you? In what form, through, through what vehicle, do you hear God's voice? Well, in Psalm 19, David reminds us that God still speaks to people today. Psalm 19 doesn't have a, a superscription, a subtitle that gives us any real context. It just says a Psalm of David. Uh, we don't know the context. We don't know why David wrote this. We, uh, we just get a sense for what he wrote, and we'll try to open that up and expound on that uh, as we go along. Psalm 19, beginning in verse one, says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies, or the firmament, display his craftsmanship, or the work of his hands. Day after day, they continue to speak, they being creation. Night after night, they make God known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. The sun bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. Hold that thought. The sun being like a, a bridegroom uh, breaking out of the bridal chamber after the wedding. Uh, the sun rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from the sun's heat. The instructions of the Lord or the law of the Lord are perfect, reviving or giving life to the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, 
bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence or fear of the Lord is pure, lasts forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. Scripture is sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the honeycomb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David reminds us in this psalm that the Holy Spirit speaks to us in two ways. The first way is that God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to us through creation. God speaks to us, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through creation. Let's go back to verses one through four of this text. David begins by saying, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies or the firmament display his craftsmanship or the work of his hands. Day after day, they continue to speak. And night after night, they make God known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. In other words, this isn't an audible voice. It's not a, it's not a, a voice or a sound that you hear with your natural ears. Nonetheless, it's a word that you hear. It's a message that you hear, and it's a message that you understand. Their message has, has gone throughout the entire earth and their words to all the world. David begins by saying, the heavens. When David says the heavens, he's, he's clearly talking about the things in the sky, the, the planets, the stars, the moon. But he has a broader definition for heavens. He's talking about all of creation. He's talking, about, he's talking about the natural world, the natural created order of things, the things that we see with our natural eyes. The heavens proclaim. That, that word proclaim uh, in its participle form is where we get the word scribe. Remember, a scribe was a Jewish teacher, a Jewish instructor, a Jewish guide who taught the people the law of God. In some way, David is saying that the, the, the heavens proclaim something in the same way that a scribe does. In other words, the heavens teach us. Creation teaches us. Creation guides us. Creation helps us to understand something. Just a few verses later, he says that, that day to day, it pours forth speech or, or it consistently talks. And that word in the Hebrew, uh, at the very root is where we get the word prophet like one of God's prophets. So like a scribe who teaches, like a prophet who declares God's truth or reveals God to the people, so creation reveals the very nature of God. Creation teaches us about God. Um, it says the heavens proclaim the glory of God, the character of God, the nature of God. He goes on in those verses to say that God speaks to everyone, to everyone, not just a few. Um, 
That verse is very similar to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul tells us, let's go ahead and read verse 4, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. And then Paul in Romans 1.20 says this, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, God's creation. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So, they have no excuse for not knowing God. In other words, creation speaks this message that God exists. And everybody hears this message. Everybody understands this message that there is a God behind creation. And Paul, he goes on to say at the, at the end of, of Romans chapter one, after verse 20, that if anybody says there is no God, they're suppressing the truth. They know there's a God. They know there's, a, there's an intelligent designer of everything that's been created. But if they say they don't believe in God, they're simply denying what they already know to be true. They're deceiving themselves into believing that, that there is no God because they don't want to worship God. They want to worship what they want to worship. They want to live the life that they want to live. They don't want to be accountable to God, so they suppress the truth that there is a God. Not only does God speak to everyone, but God speaks consistently, consistently. Let's read verse two. Day after day, they continue, they, meaning creation, continues to speak. Night after night, they make God known. Why is that important? Why is it important that know that, to know that God is consistently or continually speaking or revealing himself to humanity? Because it speaks of God's great desire and passion to know you and that you would know him. It's not like God just every once in a while, you know, says something. No, he's always talking, he's always revealing himself through nature because he desperately wants a relationship with you. He desperately wants you to know him. He wants to walk with you. And so it's important that God not only speaks to everyone about his existence, but he speaks consistently. Creation, like a scribe, teaches us. Like a prophet, creation declares the very glory of God. Why is it that when you are out in nature, why is it that when, that when you are um, in, in the mountains or you are in the forest or you are at the beach or you are at the lake or you are backpacking or you are hiking or you are observing wildlife, why is it that you feel so close to God? Because creation is speaking. Creation is teaching. Creation is shouting to us that God exists. And not only that God exists, but specific things about the character and nature of God. Creation reveals the attributes of God. So, so for instance, let me share a few things. When, when you see the sunrise, when you see a sunrise, sunrise teaches us about the faithfulness of God. The sun rises every day, and then it goes, it sets and rises every day, sets and rises every day. So in Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 and 23, Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, never ends. His mercy never comes to an end. It's new every, what? Why does he say morning? What happens in the morning? What rises in the morning? The sun does. And then he says, great is your faithfulness. 
Jeremiah ties the faithfulness of God into the sunrise. When we, when we see the sunrise, we're reminded that, that God is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his people. God is faithful in his mercy. God is faithful in his care and in his provision. The, the, the sunrise reminds us and reflects, it speaks to us about God's faithfulness. When we see a beautiful sunset, it, it reminds us of the beauty and the desirability of God. When, when Charlene and I were in Hawaii, uh, when, when the sun begins to set o- over the ocean, um, people flock out of their hotel rooms. I mean, they, they storm the beach with their cameras and for 30 or 40 minutes, they're, they're taking pictures of the different stages of the sunset. It's beautiful. It, it's like some days it's like that where, where this glorious color just fills the sky. And we're reminded of the, the beauty of God. We're reminded of, of his desirability in the same way that people flood the beach because they, they desire to see that beauty and to capture that beauty. We're reminded that God created that beauty. That if God could create that kind of beauty, how beautiful must God be? Creation teaches us that we are to desire the beauty of God. When we see a field of wildflowers, like when I hiked uh, from the top of Tuolumne Meadows down into the, the Valley of Yosemite, there were all kinds of meadows like this with wildflowers. When we see a picture like that, it reminds us of the creativity and the artistry of God. Like people paint that, right? You've seen paintings of fields like that. God created it. Imagine the, the spirit of creativity in this God that create, could create that kind of diversity, that kind of variety, that kind of beauty, the creative genius of God. Now, if you're an artsy person, this ought to just fire you up. Like if, if the God that I serve in his essence and nature has that kind of creativity, what can he give me in my creative expression? So we see nature and we're reminded of the creativity and the artistry of God. When we see the mountains, we're reminded of his majesty, his glory. When we, when we see the waves of the sea, we're reminded of the power and the strength of God. If you've ever seen or, or been to, to a surfing, uh, where people are surfing waves like that, I've never been to a place with waves that big, but when those waves crash, the power of that wave crashing is incredible. Now, I have body surfed waves not nearly that size, and when the water crushes me, I feel the power. Come on, somebody. You, there's incredible, so nature teaches us about the power and the strength of our God. Well, then we can look at the animal kingdom, and the animal kingdom itself teaches us about the attributes of God, the very nature of God. We can see the, the protection of God in creation. Don't mess with Mama Cheetah right there if you try to get to her cubs. And how much more is God fierce and powerful in his defense of us when we see bears defending their cubs or cheetahs defending their little ones? Next time you feel vulnerable and worried, think about God in his fierceness protecting you like we see in nature when animals protect the ones that they love. We see the, the provision of God in nature, don't we? The mother sow with her piglets feeding always enough or, or a mother nursing her child. There's this provision that flows in nature, mother to child. And we understand the, the faithfulness of God to provide everything that we need 
that sow is going to run out of juice at some point, but God never runs out of juice. Amen? He's unlimited supply. We can look at creation and we can see the love of God. Next time you think God's angry at you, think of Polar Mama for a minute and just the deep care and love that she has for that little cub. And God's love is more perfect than that for you. And he wants you like that little, little cub, just crawl up and just nestle up with God, your father, and let him just minister his love. You know, nature also teaches about the peace of God, doesn't it? That God is a God of peace. God is a God of restoring relationships. When, when there are adverse or volatile relationships where reconciliation needs to take place, he's the God of peace. He wants us to have peace with him, and he wants us to have peace with one another. He wants us to enter into those types of relationships. God, creation teaches us about the very character and the nature of God. But creation not only teaches us about the, the existence of God and the attributes of God, Creation teaches us that we're to praise God. See, see every, every part of creation in its own way worships God, expresses its gratitude for its creator. Uh, where are we going here? <clears throat> Verses four and five. Oh, hold off on that for just a second. So in this psalm, David, David wants us to, to capture this idea that creation itself in its own way uh, praises and gives glory to the God that created it. And so he, he gives us this scripture in verses four through six about the sun. He talks about the sun. So let's throw that scripture up. And he says, God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. God created the sun and God figuratively creates a home. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. Now, in the ancient Near East, people worshiped the sun. They believed that the, the, the sun was a god, and so they would, they would worship the sun god. David wants us to know that the sun is not a god. The sun was created by God. And the sun, in its, in, it, in its own way, expresses its great delight to do what God created it to do. God created it to provide heat and light to the world. And it loves to do that. It loves to fulfill the purpose for which God gave it. And so, so it says a couple of things. It says it's like a, like a bridegroom coming out of the bridal chamber after the wedding. Now, let's talk about the, the Jewish wedding for a moment. So the bride and the groom would go through the ceremony. They, they would have the, the wedding feast, the, the celebration with family and friends. And then at some point later in the evening, the, the bride and the groom would excuse themselves to go into the bridal chamber to consummate the marriage. Well, in the morning, the, the bridegroom would come out of the bridal chamber with the biggest smile you've ever seen on that boy's face. It was a good night. Come on, somebody. And he breaks out of that thing excited about the day, going, let's go, right? Good day. I'm ready to start my new life. David says that's what the sun's like. He gets up in the morning, breaks out of the bridal chamber, and he's ready to shine. He's ready to do what God created him to do. Like an athlete running a race in the blocks, he's ready to hear that gun sound and get out of the blocks and do what he's called to do, and that is to, to go from one end of the sky to the other. And it says that the sun in his purpose 
rejoices. Isn't that interesting? The son is personified in this text as though he's a person that rejoices. I I love what the New International uh, Commentary in the Old Testament says about that. It says, the son is said to rejoice. This verb often refers to the songs of praise in the Psalms directed to God. In, In this case, it's an allusion to the praise that creation gives its creator. The son worships its creator, rejoices in God. So we come to verses in Psalms, like Psalm 148, verse two through somewhere around 14, to get this understanding of of how creation in in its own unique way expresses its love or praise to the creator. It reads like this. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. They are to praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He's made a decree and it won't pass away. Praise the Lord from the sea, sea monsters, and all the ocean depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, animals and all cattle, crawling things, winged fowl. And then he goes to people, kings of the earth and all the peoples, rulers, judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. They are to what? They are to praise the name of the Lord for his name, alone is exalted, his majesty is above heaven and earth. Creation not only teaches us about the attributes and the character and the existence of God, but creation encourages us to praise our creator, to praise God for giving us all a unique purpose. And as we fulfill that purpose, we are to rejoice and give honor and glory to God. You see verses like this throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, the mountains and the hills shall break forth into song. The trees of the field will clap their hands. In celebration, uh, that passage of the coming of the Messiah, the praise of the Messiah. Why Why did Jesus go into, the, into the, the, the wilderness? Into the, Why did he pray in the garden? Why was he constantly going out to nature? Why is it that, that when we are in nature, we, we feel drawn to God, we, we sense a, a, a gratitude and thanksgiving toward God? There's something in our hearts that get lit up when we are in nature because I believe we are actually stepping into a, a, a natural cathedral of praise. All of creation gives glory and honor to God. So Jesus warns the scribes and the Pharisees in the Gospels. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was about to die. People were laying their coats on the road as he rode in on a donkey. The children, the people were singing, Hosanna to, to the son of David, Hosanna to the king, and everyone's praising Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees get mad and they despise Jesus and they won't praise him. And Jesus looks at him and says, if you don't praise me, the very what? Rocks will cry out. If you refuse to praise God, you have a witness in creation who is praising him. So if you go out into your garden, you go out into your backyard and the rocks are praising God, something's wrong because you need to be doing that. If the trees around your house are praising him and you're not, watch out. Jesus said, nature will express thanksgiving 
and praise. So not only does the Holy Spirit speak to us through uh, nature, through, through creation, but through scripture. That's the second thing. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through scripture. Let's read verses seven and eight. David pivots here. He pivots from this, this look into the created world and how the created world in this invisible, not invisible, but silent voice speaks to us about God. Now he shifts to scripture and he says the Holy Spirit also speaks to us or makes himself known in scripture. He says uh, the instructions or the law of the Lord are perfect, reviving or giving life to the soul. The implication is that, that we were dead before we found the life of God's word. The, the, the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. David says two important things in that text. He says the Holy Spirit speaks to us through scripture. The second thing he says is scripture has the power to transform our lives. Scripture has the power to change us. So here's my question. Why do we not read the Bible? Why don't we read Scripture? And many of you, some of you have the audacity to say, God doesn't speak to me. But you never crack the pages of Scripture. Why not go to the place that God speaks? Why not go to the place where David says, well, your life will be transformed? David says, the first thing is you can go from death to life. Scripture can transform you and bring you from death to life. Because if you, if you read the scriptures and you understand that the scriptures are teaching us how to have a relationship with God. The scriptures in the New Testament teach us about Jesus Christ. That if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't surrender your life to him and believe that he's the son of God, believe that he died for your sin and was raised again on the third day, you don't have spiritual life. You're dead in your sin. Yet the scriptures can revive your soul. The scriptures can give you life if you surrender to the truth of the scriptures about Jesus. Powerful. Scripture can transform you. Scripture can take you from foolishness to wisdom. Scripture can, can move you from foolishness to wisdom. Wisdom is the ability, ability to navigate the challenging issues of life, like marriage, like money, like parenting, like relationships. The scriptures give us wisdom by which we can successfully navigate the challenging twists and turns of life. So you're struggling in your marriage. You're struggling in your parenting. You're struggling in your relationships. You're struggling financially. Why don't you go to the place where God says, I will give you the wisdom you need to navigate the challenging issues of your life? Why do we not read scripture? Why, why do we not read the Bible? It's, it's the place where we get life. Our soul is revived. It's the place where we get wisdom. He also says that the scriptures move us from despair to joy. From despair to joy. Joy is the happiness that comes when we discover God's truth about our lives and about God. Joy is the happiness that comes to our lives when we discover God's truth. 
I'm gonna make a bold statement, but I believe this. I believe it's nearly impossible to live a life of despair if you are constantly rehearsing the promises of God in his word. I think it's almost impossible to live there. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about clinical depression and, and those things. Those, those are real issues that we need to work through. What I'm saying is scripture says that, that the Bible, the word of God, is our source of joy. It, it causes the heart to rejoice. And as I think about the promises of God in scripture, it, it brings joy to my life. Romans 8, 37. I overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loves me. I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves, that gives me joy. God says I can overcome. The very next verse, verse 38 of Romans 8. I'm convinced, Paul says, that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate me from his love. That brings me joy. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can make it. Psalm 23.6, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely God's goodness and his mercy is pursuing me, attacking me to overtake me on a daily basis. That brings me joy, confidence, assurance. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Come on. Every spiritual blessing is mine in Christ. That brings me joy. It's hard to rehearse the scriptures, the teachings, the promises of God without having joy well up in your heart. Old Testament said things like, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed, not cursed. God has a a good plan for us that can give me joy. But if you don't read that, if if you're not meditating on that, if you're not investing yourself in that, you can live a life of despair. Now more than ever, our culture, our nation needs hope and it needs people of joy. Why don't we read the Bible? Why don't we read the scriptures? The last thing he says is that the word of God can move us from confusion to insight. From confusion to insight. In other words, the the insight that the Bible that God gives me, the Holy Spirit speaks to me, helps me, influences me to make right decisions throughout my day. He can give me God's perspective on things. Why don't we read the scriptures? Men, I want to address you just for a second. If you don't regularly read the Bible, if you don't regularly study the scriptures, I want to challenge you. We have a program here. It's called Disciples Made. The whole point of that program is to get men to read the Bible, to study the Bible, and then to come together once a week and discuss the Bible together and begin to learn it and begin to apply it in their lives and pray together and care for each other. It's in full swing right now, but we're starting up again in October. If you don't read the Bible on your own, you need to be in Disciples Made. You need to be in a program where you can begin to learn how to read the Bible, study the Bible. People hold you accountable to that, and you can begin to learn from other people. October, watch for it. Disciples made. David brings this psalm to a close by saying this. God speaks. He speaks to us through nature, creation, and he speaks to us through scripture, but that's not enough. It's not enough to hear his voice. You have to take what he's saying 
and align your life with that truth. And he says it like this in verse 14. May the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or pleasing to you, God, my rock and my redeemer. In other words, all of this that I'm hearing, all of this that I'm learning from creation and from your word, let me apply it in my life. Let my words, my actions, my thoughts be pleasing to you. I want to live for God. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're not hearing God's voice, why don't you go to the place that God is speaking? We talked today about, about creation, worshiping God, honoring God. For a moment, can you forget who's standing next to you? Can you not worry about who's there? And, and, and what if right now we joined with this, this natural chorus that's, that's glorifying God and honoring Him for who He is? As we close this morning, there's going to be some folks up here to pray. If you have any prayer needs related to what we talked about today or anything else, uh, don't, don't leave before you come forward and get prayer. Your friends or family, they'll wait a couple minutes if you need that prayer. God still speaks today. He speaks in a silent language through creation. And he speaks by the Holy Spirit through Scripture. Are you hearing his voice? He, he wants you to. Let's make a commitment this week to listening to God's voice and putting it into practice in our lives. Lord, we thank you this morning for Psalm 19. We're thankful that you speak to everyone and that you speak consistently and that you care about us. Lord, as we, as we hear your word this week, as we step into school or step into work tomorrow morning or tomorrow night, let the words of our mouth, the actions of our lives, the thoughts in our mind be pleasing to you. Help us, Lord, this week to align what we do with who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.